0: This is Peter Ramsey, and you're listening to Ace the Cloak.
1: podcast we have started please please listen to this now we have started uh hey everybody i'm uh uh, i'm jeremy Sinzer. you don't know that though of course because you're here and you followed the links that clicked through so obviously you have some clue as to who i am uh but joining me today is blake hodges
2: from yeah from the pod studio one podcast Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, it's finally warmed up here in Nashville, Tennessee. The snow gods have left us alone finally, so uh, I'm feeling great.
1: That's uh, that's crazy. That it, like doesn't it usually stay relatively warmish
0: down there?
2: Yeah, it's usually warm. Uh, it has been so much snow, and I live at a higher elevation now since I moved. That I'm going down the mountain, thinking Did I live in. I live in uh, the north now, where Canada at this point. Trying oh, to get yeah. on this thing—that's
1: crazy. So, uh, i am doing much better now. That's good. I know the uh, the weather's been just sort of like nuts, like everywhere, like Toronto uh, up here in Canada. Toronto and Montreal both got slammed. Uh, the East Coast, just in general, just uh, just in a, just a mess.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd wondered if the snow was going to attack you guys as well, but I figured I'd be okay with it, especially in Canada. My buddy in Michigan, they're already they're always prepared for it, so I'm sure in Canada you're like, "Snow, please."
1: Well, generally, but that's part of the reason that I moved out of that I, that I moved away from Toronto. Actually, was that I'd had enough, like forty years of living in in, mm-hmm. in the in the snowy northern wasteland that is Toronto in the winter was uh, just enough for me. So Vancouver, which is a lot more temperate, uh, it's actually nice and it's a little rainy out today. But I mean, it's 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 a beautiful day out there today. So uh, my girlfriend just spent uh, a week in Montreal and she hated every second of
2: it. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. So it sounds like you're kind of in the Seattle of Canada.
1: Uh, very much so. We're, uh, we're two hours away from Seattle. So it's, uh, it's just a lovely drab gray rainy area, but at least there's no snow. So that is good. So, um, <laughs> uh, why don't you take uh, a couple of minutes just to let everybody know what your podcast is about, uh, and what uh, type of things you like to accomplish with it?
2: Thanks, man. I'm uh, the host of the pod studio one podcast where, uh, we have people who are creatives, uh, that they're working on hobbies or maybe they are working and they have a, you know, they're moonlighting and something else, basically, uh, just people who are trying to make something. And, uh, we like to highlight them, talk to them about their, uh, what they're working on, where they've been, where they're going, how they accomplish those goals, uh, and talk to them, but also guys, as, as go as we go on their journey, kind of hit the points where we think other people may be. So how did their journey start? If they've already been super successful, how did they get there? Or maybe uh, maybe they're just on the start of success. And so basically we call it a study of life through people. Cool. That's amazing.
1: I mean, mine tends to – I tend to strictly be like comic books or, or film type people, but you you go all sort of all over the whole gamut.
2: Yeah. I mean it's – I'm a movie reviewer, so a lot of times uh, – and what, we live in the Nashville area, so a lot of times we'll have people who are musically inclined or movie inclined in terms of creative, but – I mean, any given day, we could have uh, someone who makes software and then uh, we could have someone who's about to release an album. So it's kind of just the whole spectrum of creativity. Uh, Anyone who's doing something creative, regardless of the area, that's where they uh, that's who we talk to.
1: That's amazing. And Nashville is a beautiful city. I was down there last uh, last year for the Wizard World uh, convention down there. Have you lived there your whole life?
2: Yeah, I tell people that I was born in Tennessee. I'm gonna live in Tennessee and I'm gonna die in Tennessee <laughs> nice. I, I was born in middle Tennessee went to college in West Tennessee and then would always hang out and vacation and party with my friends in East Tennessee So uh, I don't know Tennessee's been pretty good to me
1: cool. How did you how did you get into into movie reviewing? I mean that seems like a very specific uh, uh, Choice to make
2: it's kind of an interesting thing. I, uh, I grew up always going, going to the movies with my dad And when I went to see the movie Fury that came out in 2014, I was just captivated. Everything about it was amazing. The uh, the cinematography, the acting, the character arcs, the themes. I loved it so much. And I just started out on Instagram. So I just wrote a quick review and uh, a few people liked it. A few people commented and I was like, man, this is so fun to review, see, talk about movies, help people decide if they want to see it or not. I'm going to do this all the time. And so, uh, this is now the fourth year I've been doing that. I just eclipsed 200 reviews and, uh, I don't know. It's just awesome because it's, it's something I get to go on a new journey every week, depending upon what's coming out and then talk about that journey with everyone else.
1: That's fantastic. And the beauty of cinema, I may add,
2: uh, where can people find your reviews? Uh, right now they can find me, uh, just on Instagram at Blake Hodges, uh, with three S's, uh, or if they search Midnight Jogs on Twitter, but I mostly do all my movie talk on Instagram. My goal this year, now that I've done 200 reviews is I've given myself permission to reach out to all the papers to try to get someone to take me on. So maybe they'll find me there next year. Cool.
1: Amazing. Um, uh, I actually happen to know a couple of, uh, movie related people from down in the Nashville area. Um, uh, first of all, this, the, the cinema sins guys, uh, who have a very popular YouTube channel, uh, but also, uh, Aaron Dicer, who is also a, a movie reviewer. Um, he is your movie friend, uh, on YouTube. Um, do you know any of those guys? You should probably get in touch with those guys. I should get you in touch with those guys.
2: You should. Um, funny enough, I've I've gotten in touch with Aaron Dicer pretty good actually from uh, from hearing him on CinemaSins podcast. Me and him actually, uh, we video chat once a month on his uh, Patreon for his, uh, his movie. I, I put together the show for him, and we, we go over questions on his, uh, his My Movie Friend Family Hangouts. Um, I got to meet the CinemaSins guys at the, uh, the Wizarding World, but yeah, that, that'd be cool.
1: You, you and I didn't actually meet at the, at the Wizard World, did we?
2: <laughs> no, I think, I think we – no, 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 we did uh, for like half a second. You were – I saw you in your Indiana Jones hat, and uh, I'd, I'd just come from the panel – I was like, oh man, he's, he's working on Deadpool two or had been got to talk to that guy. Uh, which is why I ended up following on Twitter and then, uh, invited you on my show. Cause it's like, that's, that's, that dude is, uh, doing cool stuff and he's a cool dude. That's I'm, rarely, you know, in the same person. I'm such a dick.
1: That whole, uh, that whole weekend was such a, was such a whirlwind to me. I had, no, I had dude, people, coming, I have people like contacting me on Twitter, telling me that they met me there and it was like, oh man, shit, I should do better at this. I'm terrible. I have the memory of a, of a. I don't even know what I have the memory of a bad memory, though. That's what I've got.
2: Look, those kind of weekends are just like the first weekend of college. Welcome weekend where you meet so many people that in your first week of classes, you don't remember any of those people. It's impossible. That, it's an no, assault seriously. in the senses. And that was that was like
1: my first con that I'd ever been to as well. So the whole thing was just like I was looking around like a like a
2: like I had like stars in my eyes the whole time. It was just kind of crazy. So
1: anyway, it was a super fun weekend. though. It was great.
2: Oh, yeah, same. First con, and I went there with my wife, and I was like, this is crazy. I didn't even know all these uh, different communities and areas existed. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: That actually is uh, that con, me just attending uh, as a guest of the CinemaSins guys, uh, has led me to book, uh, so far anyways, two upcoming convention uh appearances for myself. I'm going to have an artist alley table and all that stuff, so it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, all right, so as we do every time we get together every six months or so, let's <laughs> – Let's have a look at what's happening in the news, shall we?
0: Have you heard the news?
1: Uh, okay, so I have, a, I have a bit of a theme going for the news today. Uh, this is all stories about movies that I didn't think were actually happening, or uh, that I thought were already happening in a different kind of a way. Anyways, so the first news story that I saw yesterday, uh, uh, apparently Toy Story 4 now uh, has just signed on a new screenwriter. Uh, and, the, and the person of Stephanie Folsom. Uh, I didn't. I looked through her stuff. I didn't really under- recognize a bunch of her credits and stuff, but she's replacing Rashida Jones uh, on this. Uh, this does not personally, for me anyways, bode well for story, uh, Toy Story 4, which for me, well, here's the reason that I included this in this particular topic. A, I thought this movie was already coming out this year. That's obviously not the case. <laughs> uh, if they just got a new screenwriter in right. it. Right. Uh, and B, uh, I, Toy Story 4, who needs it?
2: Yeah, I. It's tough because we're seeing this uh, studio that was known for being inventive and uh, making new stuff slip into the sequel madness, and also and now not just sequel madness, but let's let's play around with the process all the time and just fire people. Yeah,
1: it's just kind of crazy. It's a little scary. Yeah. Uh, i toy story 3 was such a perfect ending i think that it's uh, it's kind of uh, it's almost blasphemy to go back and 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 enter that world again it doesn't make any sense to me uh also i hear it's about bo peep like who needs that she wasn't even in three as far as i know
2: yeah she what it's about bo peep don't even call it toy story 4 then just call this <laughs> call this bo peep a toy story story yeah exactly
0: <laughs>
1: exactly anyways whatever all right moving on yesterday Steven Spielberg made a statement saying that uh, Indiana Jones Five may be the next movie that he makes. Again, going into a whole bunch of movies that aren't necessary. I mean, we have we have you know, I mean, we have three great movies. We have one nightmare that I had that one time that apparently a lot of people know about, Uh, and then we have this. Now, I don't know what's the point.
2: It almost feels as if they're scared as an audience, us the general public, that we we can't go see anything if we don't know what it is. Oh, what are we watching? Like they're just they don't think we're smart enough to take in a new story or maybe they're too scared to try one. I don't I
1: don't get it. I don't know. I mean, my whole thing about Indiana Jones specifically, I mean, first of all, my favorite movie franchise of all time, okay? So when Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull came out, I was obviously super super excited about it and then ultimately devastatingly disappointed by it. Um, Harrison Ford's too old he's too old to play this role anymore so, I mean let's face it right I mean I, I don't I don't buy no no I'm
2: I'm, I'm laughing because it's sad you know
1: yeah no right and so here's the thing if if uh, Disney wants to do the logical thing and and reboot the Indiana Jones franchise with a new actor playing Indiana Jones um, I have a perfect script in my head I have the perfect way to do it I've described it on a, on a previous episode of Ace the cloak before um, uh, so They're not going to do it, though, and so what we're going to have is probably another situation where uh, Harrison Ford barely is able to walk, and then all of a sudden we see the back of him, and he's this really energetic stunt guy doing craziness. So, um, first of all, A, don't make this movie, Spielberg, and B, uh, uh, if you're going to make it, make it quick, because Harrison Ford's not going to make it through if you don't. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it almost it almost feels as if they're just like saying, all right, what is all Hollywood came together and said, what what do we need to get done with Harrison Ford? All right, let's do it all really fast here at the end. Let's get him a Star Wars, get him Blade Runner. Let's do another Indiana Jones. Yeah,
1: What are we going to do? We're about to lose him. I've said this before, but I, I will not rest until, until I see uh,
2: Witness 2.
1: Based on Crystal Skull alone, I don't want another Indiana Jones movie. And that's saying a lot because I love Indiana Jones.
2: How would you feel if they treated it a little bit like James Bond where they kept the similar this is the mission this is the tone this is the goal and there was a new guy would that be better than you know Indiana Jones 5 Harrison Ford uh, retirement episode
1: no I, in all honesty I would rather they just they just stopped altogether if if there's a yeah. if there's a, a a world for whatever reason where they have to make another Indiana Jones movie they should go with my story idea which which is to say. Um, it's, it's long and involved, but I'll give you the, the breakdown of it. You get Harrison Ford playing old Indiana Jones, and then you parallel that with a story with a young Indiana Jones, with a perfectly cast, who knows who that will be, I have no idea, uh, maybe Ryan Gosling, he'd be actually pretty good, um, uh, so that you get these two parallel storylines going. They're happening at the same time screen-wise, but one's happening back in the '30s, and one's happening. I guess it would probably have to be in like the '80s or something like that. Um, so that, uh, and then so you have old Indiana Jones die, obviously, in the in the old version, but then you have young Indiana <laughs> Jones with this new actor continue on into future movies. So you get this nice little sort of sentimental handoff thing that you can do, and 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 if it's written properly, I have it all broken down. Lucasfilm really needs to call me. Um, Then again, I think it could work. In a world where we have to recast, I would like to see that kind of handoff. That's all.
2: Well, yeah, if they did that right, that could be a serious uh, storytelling feat if they could pull that off. That would be super cool visually, uh, storytelling wise, and it's. It's like the ultimate cheat. They they get to have their, their new guy, and they don't have to make anyone super mad in the process because they do something cool with it.
1: Right, and you don't have to have Harrison Ford do any kind of stunt work or anything. All the action can take place in the past with the young guy, right? Whereas, like, story-driven stuff, investigation, finding the antiquity, whatever, all of that stuff can happen with old Indy. That's fine, but just don't make him run. Don't make him run. I don't believe it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, there's only so much suspension of disbelief you can do.
1: Well, it's just, like, there's that one sequence in, in Crystal Skull where he's in the rafters at the museum, right up the very top, and he's, like, jumping from rafter to rafter as he swings on the thing, and it's just like, I don't, you know, I mean, come on, what, is he 80? He's, like, 70 years old at least, right? So forget it. As soon as they go to the stunt guy, it's it's completely obvious that
2: it's not Harrison Ford anymore. And I don't see the point in that. You know, it's just it's just wish fulfillment that... I wish my grandpa could still do the crazy stuff he did as a kid. Oh, look! <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll... maybe Hey, maybe they'll hear this. Maybe they'll stop trying to to shoehorn an uh, awkward, ill-advised plot. Uh, okay,
1: and the last news
2: uh, item that I've got... And this falls into
1: this category of movies that I didn't think was actually happening. Um, apparently, Joel Kinnaman, who played uh, one of the people in uh, Suicide Squad... I'll be honest, I wasn't paying very close attention... Um, has posted a photo uh, of him and a whole bunch of the Suicide Squad people, like at the gym or something like that, um, in preparation for Suicide Squad 2, which I didn't even think was going. Um, Now, the reason that this is a news story is because uh, Jay Hernandez was in that picture and uh, he played Diablo in the first uh, Suicide Squad movie, and he died. So what the hell? What's going on? I'm so confused. I also don't
2: care, because Suicide Squad was terrible. Yeah, there's only so many uh, helicopter crashes you can have. I, I thought for what it was trying to be, just a dumb, fun comedy uh, in the summer, it was fine. But yeah, making that into a sequel, I don't mean, what more is there really to do there?
1: I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, but apparently Joel Kinnaman
2: getting in trouble for posting that picture from, like,
1: Warner Brothers really doesn't appreciate it, apparently.
2: Yeah, if that's your headline, then I think the next headline might be, "To this just then Suicide Squad 2 has been canceled.
1: Right, seriously. So here we go. We had three news stories about movies that I didn't think were happening or that I thought were happening sooner than, than than it turns out they are. And probably won't happen. Hopefully, none of these three movies will actually end up happening. That's my hope.
2: Yeah, but I mean, how often do movies get cut that close? Is that... Does that happen often? I no, mean, if I would, it does, then yes, these are definitely good cut candidates.
1: Well, I would say like, uh, Indiana Jones, probably a pretty good uh, uh, bet for not getting made. Uh, I think that they're, they've they just started to think about starting to make it, so I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think Harrison Ford will probably get up one day and just go, yeah, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. Like, let's not even worry about it. Um, <laughs> uh, Toy Story, they probably invested way too much to, to not do it. I don't know, Suicide Squad seems kind of weird, right? I don't know. I and mean, It seems like an odd choice to me. Money, I guess money. Anyways.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, any time, because money seems to be not like the answer we want, but sometimes, sadly, the answer of why stuff does happen. Of all those three, maybe Suicide Squad, they're, they're just grasping at straws at this point. What I are think, they going to do? You know, Justice League didn't go over as well as they wanted it to.
1: I mean, I think they need to restructure and start from scratch. Personally, that's just me. I mean, that's a topic for another time, I think uh but yeah anyways we'll <laughs> see i think i didn't even think they had a director uh, assigned yeah. to it yet so i i honestly
2: don't know if it's ever going to happen which is fine All right. Well, and in in keeping with this this news of what's getting cut, uh, did you hear the whole, supposedly the whole dark universe with Tom Cruise, the mummy, that all got cut. So maybe there is some hope for uh, studios realizing what direction is wrong and rerouting.
1: Maybe, yeah, I heard that. I mean, I I think that that was a weird sort of choice to begin with. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping that we can get a little bit. I mean, mean, at the end of the day, if you don't want to go see it, don't go see it. So that's fine. I mean, I I can make those choices, but... You know, let's let's. I think we should spend our money in different directions sometimes. But that's just me, and I'm opinionated. Okay, so here we're going to move on now to a, a new segment that I've never done before, and it's called "I Can Fix It," in which we take a plot point from a movie that really stuck in our in our sides, uh, and then suggest uh, a way that we can fix that plot point and thereby make the movie a better thing. So here we go. I can fix it. I can fix it. Do you want to start? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first?
2: Yeah, I, I really uh, start by saying I love the idea for this segment. When I saw uh, you announce it, I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. I wish I had an idea for something to fix. Uh, and now I do because uh, there's been a lot of Star Wars talk. The dust is finally settling. And <laughs> I think I can fix a problem. In that story. Yeah, that dust. No pun intended. Uh, the, Gosh, that was awful, actually, for me to say. That was awful. Um, the, I stand but anyways, I, that. I'm I stand here to fix... <laughs> Thank you. I need someone to stand with me on that. I have a, I have something that I think will fix two problems. One, it'll fix a story issue, and it'll in episode eight and nine. Well, I'm watching episode eight. All the excitement's in the room, and I mean, I don't I don't know if it's okay to say spoilers on Star Wars at this point. I feel of like course. it is, but cause if you're watching, if you're listening to this movie podcast, you've seen Star Wars. Whenever she gets taken out, that I mean, she was blown off the bridge. I was thinking, good job, Disney. I applaud you. You made this crucial, amazing moment with Kylo being devastated that his mom is is dead. I think he's is feeling that way because he didn't have the he didn't have the guts and the motivation to, to do the shots. Someone else did that, and so I thought, okay, well this um, this is great for one for the studio for shooting of nine. They've found a very clean, easy way to do this. And what's crazy to me is that that wasn't reshot or redone. That was original. They had it right there, and that would fix one what they're going to do on 9, because we know they're not going to do CGI after the mess with Rogue One. Uh, number two, that would fix Luke's motivation, because the, the biggest tragedy to me of the uh, story for 8 is that Luke doesn't make any sense being on this island the whole time. That dude would not have abandoned his sister. There is no freaking way. So that would have fixed his motivation to... All right. Well, now I'm going to get my butt up. I'm going to start uh, helping Ray. I'm going to go and take down Kylo. That would have fixed that plot uh, device or plot hole to me because I can't imagine a world in which Luke is just by rebels, by friends. No way. He wouldn't have turned his back on them when Yoda said, "Don't leave. Do, uh, stay with my training." What would he do? He said, "No to Yoda." So it would fix that. Uh, secondly, fix the studio issue. Of what are they going to do? And then thirdly, it would, uh, they didn't even have people say, "Oh, what about Poe's arc? They need Carrie Fisher there for him to be learning how to be a leader." Nope. We got our uh, girl from Jurassic Park here with the purple hair. She's going to teach him that arc of being a leader. Everything was perfect and in line. So I think that would fix that huge plot uh, hole. And honestly, the worst scene in episode eight to me is her flying back Mary Poppins style. So, I mean, that took me right out of it. So I think that would fix a lot.
1: I was was thinking along the exact same lines as you in that. I was thinking, oh my god, they did it. I can't believe it. Cause they were talking about, oh, they didn't have to edit anything. They got what they what they got for Carrie Fisher for, for episode eight, uh, and it was and it was perfect and they're not changing anything. And I was just like, Wow. So when she was floating in space, I was just like, Holy shit, this was brave. You know, this was a, a big move. This was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then and then she did that thing, which to me, yeah, was again, I mean, it was way too Guardians of the Galaxy for me. It was terrible. Um Uh the the only other even so even if they were really content or really in, uh, intent I should say of having that moment where she's a big force user and she manages to brings herself back onto the bridge or whatever, um, they still could have, they still could have sent her out in a really good way by having her do the hyperspace thing instead of Holdo.
2: Oh, that's brilliant! I didn't even think about. Yes, that would have been a great way for her to go out.
1: That's see. That's still my second choice, though. I still think. Uh, I still think dying in, in space, like you say, gives the motivation for Kylo Ren. It it has all. It adds all of uh, uh, the emotional beats like that. If she dies on the bridge, there, that's my first choice. <clears throat> second choice, uh, have her do the holdo move.
2: Well, and what your move would do is that would that would fix the one problem with my thing is that I'm sh- I have I've, I have 100 confidence that someone I'm not a genius. Someone else had to had to say all the things I just said in the the cutting room floor and in the meetings that they had post uh, you know losing Carrie Fisher. What are we going to do? Moments and they I'm sure someone said, well, listen, we can't cut her out of the last movie she's in. I don't care about story. We just honorably can't cut her out of the last movie. And I I mean, so I get it. And your move of having her take out the ships with the hyperspace moment would have fixed that. So that would have been, and that moment, by the way, one of the best moments I've ever had in a movie. But yeah, that Fantastic. would have been a great fix for that. Yeah,
1: Fantastic moment. Every time I think I hate this movie, I think of that and I go, ah, I don't hate it. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, you and I fell on different parts. After my first watch, I was like, I don't know, I don't know, a long list of things I like and things I don't like. And then after the second watch, I was like, I'll forgive the things I don't like because it's just the big moves.
1: I need to. I need to see it again. I've only seen it the once. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I still love Star Wars. So I'm sure at the end of the
2: day, I'll probably land on the side of still of liking it enough. Um, it's it's just like that pet that bites you one day, and then some days they you know are cute and cuddly and like. It's just like we you know. What are you gonna do?
1: Totally. Okay. So my uh, my fixing it moment is uh, X Men: Days of Future Past. This is something that has bothered me. Uh, as much as I enjoyed that movie because I really do enjoy that movie, uh, but there is no logic behind the whole concept of Wolverine going back in time to fix Professor X when, in the current timeline, Professor X didn't need fixing so <laughs> so the way that you fix this is you it's a very simple beat at the beginning of the movie. Mystique is the threat throughout this entire thing. She's gonna kill whoever she's going to kill, and that's the whole thing because of the Sentinels and whatever. What you need is at the beginning of that movie, you need a beat where Mystique of the Present, played by Rebecca Romaine, gets sent back into her young self to change things. This is the problem, is that Mystique, is that nothing has changed for Wolverine to have to go back and fix. So if you have Mystique go back and fuck things up, then Wolverine can go back and fix those things and get through the whole thing. Because otherwise, well, as it stands right now, Professor X always went through this sort of bout with depression uh, in the in the 70s. And how did he get out of it in the first place?
2: Ah, yes, yes, yes. And that would give us a cool, again, parallel story running right there.
1: Right. So, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, in order to go back in time to fix something, something needs to have been broken in the first place. So you need to have Mystique go back first. Uh, older Mystique go back try to fix things or try to she wrecks things and then Wolverine goes back to fix things.
2: There you go. I fixed it. And that's not an insane logical leap either because that sounds like a Mystique move. She's a little bit Loki-ish in terms of the whole I'm going to F things up all the time. So that sounds, I mean, that's totally logical for her to go back and screw that up at first.
1: So anyway, that's my, that's my fix it. It's simple. It's a really easy fix, but I, I, I think that sometimes things uh, just kind of slip by people. Maybe there's a longer cut. I haven't seen the rogue version of this movie. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more to it in that.
2: I almost wonder if there should be a list of questions that all uh, scripts should have to go through. Like, all right, well, let's what's these five questions for this character? Like, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Because that does, you're right, I mean, that's such an easy fix on such a big problem that I'm surprised I didn't catch it.
1: Every time I watch it, I I, I put uh, I put that little scene in my head. Uh, so that's uh, uh, that's I can fix it for this uh, for this week and uh, maybe for the next six months. Who knows? Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, anyways, we're uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, before we do head out, uh, uh, what uh, do you have to recommend this week?
2: So I feel as if my recommend is a little bit of a cheat, but that's because I gave this a lot of thought. Pop- and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy movies, you enjoy creativity, and this is something that's been out for a while, but I just don't think it's gotten much attention or love, is the movie Don't Think Twice. It's uh, it's on Netflix now, so if you got a Netflix subscription, you can see it right now. What I love about this movie is it's kind of a, I call it a love letter to creatives because it shows all the individual journeys that a creative can go on in terms of trying to make it, they do make it, and then what happens after, or they're trying, they're not making it. Why, like, why aren't they making it? What can they do to try to make it? I mean, all of these different story arcs played out in this one group of six friends. And uh, it's just amazing. It's stand-up. All these comedians are doing it. And so it's an hour and a half of story and comedy. That you, it's almost so uh, so quick and so quippy that you can't even uh, process it. So it's even fun, or it's even more fun on a second viewing. But uh, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you would enjoy something like this. So I uh, don't think Twice would be my recommend.
1: That's a that's a fantastic recommend. It's uh, it's on my list of uh, of things to watch because it's you know how you get those lists going and you just sometimes you get you get sort of swamped mm. with all the things. So it's it's been on my list ever since it came out. Uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of Mike Birbiglia's uh, stand up. That guy is hilarious, um, and I believe he wrote this. I don't think he directed, it, but I think he wrote it. So if you are a fan of Mike Birbiglia's uh, comedy, then you will probably like this. And his first movie, uh, Sleepwalking Something, Sleepwalk with Me. Uh, was just this really sort of low-key, understated, but yet very funny look at at his relationships and stuff like that. I can recommend that as well, it's really good. Also uh, on Netflix, any of Mike Birbiglia's stand-up, uh, they're all worth watching. They're all really funny.
2: Oh, yes. I mean, he's so authentic is probably one of my favorite things about him in terms of comedy is because it really feels like the things he's talking about they really did happen to him. And he, the way he will heckle an audience, the few moments that he does that, is pretty funny as well. Totally.
1: That's great. That's a great recommend. Uh, my recommend uh, is, uh, is a comic. Uh, it's X-Men Gold Annual which is... uh, I don't know if uh, anybody... Well, people have heard me recommend X-Men Gold here, uh, written by Mark Guggenheim. Uh, It's a fantastic new X-Men series. Really a nice sort of throwback-y love letter to the X-Men comics of the 90s that I loved. Uh, And in keeping with that tradition, uh, uh, X-Men Gold Annual, uh, written by uh, Mark Guggenheim and Leah Williams, um, is uh, really a love letter to uh, Excalibur, which is uh, the greatest x-men offshoot comic that ever was uh written by chris claremont and alan davis uh and this is if you loved excalibur then you will love x-men gold annual
2: nice Am it's I nice know? when something can uh, be a nice nod to something to build on it as well
1: totally and the cover they actually managed to get alan davis back to do the cover which is a complete homage to his first cover for uh excalibur number one so it's just it's just fantastic great all around yeah can't recommend it highly enough Uh, Okay, so that's it. That'll do it. Uh, What we've got for you right now is uh, I managed to get uh, Peter Ramsey... Uh, Who is the director of uh, the new animated Spider-Man movie, which is coming out this November? To sit down and chat about stuff. He's a storyboard artist too, so we had a lot to talk about regarding the process and stuff. He talks about the new movie a lot. Now, this interview is from some time ago, so they hadn't actually gone into the animation stage yet. So this is uh, it's it's fairly uh, uh, untimely, but that's okay because it's still a good conversation. So there you go. Um, All right, let's go into that right now. Time with me today. I appreciate it. My pleasure,
0: man. My pleasure. So, how
1: you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, what are you up to today?
0: I've uh, been working uh, on and off, mostly on on um, Spider Man. Still working on the the uh, still working on a lot of story for that. Even though we've kind of launched into layout, and we'll be going to, into animation in about a month and a half.
1: Oh wow! When's the uh, what's the projected release
0: date for that? Our uh, release date is December December 14th, 2018. 2018. Oh, so still a fair ways off then. <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. A year, year and a half is kind of it's 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 a short sprint for animation. So see, it's funny because I actually
1: I don't know. I mean, most of the storyboarding that I do is uh, has been uh, live action, so I don't know what the turnaround yeah. on a on a big uh, animated feature like that is.
0: Let's see. I came on. I was working on it uh, for uh, working on it for a while last year, but around the around the around the end of last year, I came on as a director. So two years is kind of a short turnaround, actually, from right. where we. started. So it's quick.
1: Cool. Uh, what were you uh, What were you doing on it before you were tapped as a director?
0: Uh, I was storyboarding,
1: just storyboarding it. So okay, so <laughs> I'm just going to jump right in then, if you don't mind me Good asking, point. how do how do you make the transition between storyboarding that and and directing it?
0: Well, you know, and it's funny because in animation, it's a lot more fluid. Right. I mean, the, between the different job descriptions a lot of the time you'll you'll, so many directors come out of story that it's it's i don't know if you'd call it a tradition but it's it's very usual for a director to you know between projects end up storyboarding on somebody else's project okay yeah whether it's just helping out or whether it's just you know make money to get by or or whichever right right yeah and in this case it was kind of a combination of both because i was friends with uh bob bob prosichetti who was the other director on Spider-Man, Right, and we had worked together for a long time at DreamWorks and knew each other well, so uh, he asked me to help out on that after another project I was on, uh, crashed and burned, so I said, sure, came on, and uh, it just so happened that they started realizing with the schedule they had that they were going to need more than one director, so uh, I was a good fit. Uh, that's that's amazing so on an animated
1: feature such as this spider-man one that you've got coming up are you like when you make the jump from being a storyboard artist to a director are you now in charge of voice performances as well as uh, what's going on visually like are you a full-on like director is there a different division of labor with,
0: between the two directors uh yeah we we're both kind of splitting up everything I directed a feature before uh Bob uh was a head of story and a writer on the little prince and I think he was uh, also did the same thing on Puss in Boots and I think he's directed you know little stuff here and there. Right. So right. both of us have directing experience and uh it's you know it's it's one of the advantages one of the reasons I think I they ended up asking me to come on and do it was because I had directed something solely on my own and could step right in and right hit the ground running.
1: It would certainly be helpful. I could see I could see how that would be a, a benefit to them for yeah. sure. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I watched in in preparation uh, of speaking with you today. I watched uh, Rise of the Guardians, oh. and uh, thought it was fantastic.
0: Hey, thanks, man.
1: I really like. I really liked the, the the style, the design of it. Uh, yeah, just the story was great. It was just it was because when it came out, it was it was a little off my radar, being
0: a mm-hmm.
2: you know a, four, a forty year
1: old man. I mean, <laughs> with no kids, it's not you know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I checked it out. But man, it was really good. I liked it a lot.
0: Oh, thanks. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. A lot of, a lot of work. A lot of work went into it, so much appreciated.
1: Excellent. Um, and it, uh, from what I hear, it uh, it did pretty well. Actually, was that uh, was it a success domestically, or was that a lot of uh, overseas?
0: Um, it wasn't. It wasn't the biggest success domestically. It 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 kind of it was weird. It was it was a situation. Uh, oh, long story short, we opened under with terrible marketing against. Against a crazy competition, right? Which was uh, uh, Skyfall, and then the uh, whatever Twilight movie was out that year. Right, right. They were both out, and we just got hammered. And it was at a time when uh, uh, DreamWorks—we were the last film under DreamWorks' deal with Paramount, the distribution deal. Okay. So that was also another like weird. there was there was just like this perfect storm of elements that kind of screwed us. Right. What can you do? the movie biz but uh, we is <laughs> how it is those, really those things were we did okay worldwide but then we did really good on home video and it's got a little bit of a cult following now so yeah
1: no i could see why i mean like i said it's uh like without having to rely on like a franchising uh, a, char- a franchise characters or anything like that i mean it, in right. a way it kind of does <laughs> yeah, yeah it's <laughs> um, a weird yeah <laughs> but it's just yeah really it's really cool like a- imaginative story uh, the performance, the vocal performances are fantastic. Oh, we had an incredible cast. Really, so. really, yeah, you got really lucky, yeah. I think, with the the people involved. It was really great. Yeah, um, yeah. I will be recommending it to uh, to anybody that I speak to.
0: Uh, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Oh, no
1: worries. Um, okay, so let's, uh, if you don't mind, let's uh, back it up a little bit then. Not at all. Um, so you've got a, a pretty uh, long career as a storyboard artist uh, mm-hmm. and working just in the in the film business in general as an illustrator and and uh, various other things. Um, how did you uh, get into that like where did what where did you
0: study in school and all that type of stuff Wow um, well I mean honestly I was a college dropout um, me too I, <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> man, man. it can be done yep um, I I went I started at UCLA as a fine arts major when I was 17 years old straight out of high school and I really had no idea what art really was beyond. You know, I, I was into comic books and you know Frank Frazetta or whatever, and yeah. I I really just wanted to draw cool. And I got into the fine arts program at UCLA, and from the first day I was getting hit with you know cubism and conceptual <laughs> art and minimalism, and I, it was so it was so far <laughs> over my head that I was I was totally lost. I mean, ironically later on, but by, by the time I was kind of on my way out of UCLA because I had kind of thrown in the towel yeah um, I had had one really great studio arts class I, I was really getting into English lit over there and I, I just started getting really confused about what I wanted to do right so I decided to leave and it that coincided with me getting really interested in film so uh, after after college I was just working at you know like kind of minimum wage jobs you know bookstores <laughs> things like that. But uh, on the side, I was—I took a few film classes at uh, Los Angeles City College. Um, was hanging out with a few friends who were also interested in film and were just making tiny inroads into the business. And uh, after you know several years, I uh, stumbled into into uh, finding out about storyboarding. And I, I had seen—you know, this was back in the in the eighties, like the late eighties—and I had seen. Books on storyboarding and you know I uh, I was a huge Star Wars fan so I you know I'd seen all that stuff but despite the fact that I'd grown up in Los Angeles, I had no inkling that I could ever actually work in the movie biz right So it wasn't until that light bulb went oh wait a minute I love movies. I'm interested in storytelling I can draw because I you know I'd drawn ever since I was a small kid right. I'd always thought I would maybe do comic books or whatever. Yep. When i try to draw comic books, I would I would try to make them look like movies. So I said, maybe I can try this. So I, I uh, uh, ended up finding about this agency that repped storyboard artists for uh, commercials. And it's, it turned out they were just starting to make the move to repping people for film as well. So I, I uh, uh, submitted some stuff to those guys, got rejected once, tried again six months later. I got accepted, and I started doing boards for commercials. And after a year of that, uh, they got me my first movie. The very first one was a movie that never ended up never getting made. Oh, that, was, I think we've
1: all got one of those under our yeah. boot, right?
0: <laughs> it was being directed by a guy named Frank Laloja, who had done a movie called The Lady in White back in the eighties. Okay, and it was a it was a horror movie, and it actually did really well. It was a big success story. Mostly because of the way it was financed, which was through uh, private investment, and kind of Wall Street dollars. Right, So right. people buy shares in the company. Did really well, and they made a ton of money. So for his next feature, he wanted to do the story of Michelangelo carving the Statue of David. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Like a passion project for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So I got hired to do, I storyboarded that whole movie with him and uh, the DP, Russell Carpenter, who went on to shoot Titanic. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to go to Italy and everything. It was incredible.
1: Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> that's, that's not bad for
0: I, a first gig. <laughs> tell me about it. Tell me if the, the bug had bitten me. So uh, I, I, I didn't get paid very much, but it was a, a really great experience. And based on the samples that I had from doing that movie, I was able to go out and get, uh, get more work. And I think the next one was probably Nightmare on, Nightmare on, Elm, on uh, Elm Street. Or, no, there was another one. I think uh yeah the order gets is kind of foggy now I'm getting the right. old and gray. but um it might have been Elm Street and then I did a little Paul Hogan movie and uh as a resu- as a result of work I think it was, as a result of working on the Paul Hogan movie uh I got in the union because oh, cool. it it went to union after I'd been on for over a month so that that was maybe the biggest stroke of luck because it threw me into the small pond of people who right. got to board on union films, and then it just—I was just constantly working through the '90s like crazy.
1: Pretty much just one call after another. Once you're once you're on the
0: union, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. A, it's that's how it was back then, at least. Yeah, but
1: it's actually it's not it's not too far off from that uh, here, actually, up in Vancouver right now. It's uh, in, in Toronto. Bet. In Toronto, there was no union, so it was pretty yeah. much just whatever you could find and all word of mouth and stuff like that. And when right. I moved out here and found out there was a union, yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. And I, I literally turned down work every week. Yeah. Everybody's calling. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's it's kind of it's yeah. kind of all right. Yeah, <laughs> so. you, you couldn't yeah, could beat it. <laughs> cool. So um, I, if you're anything like me, which actually, it's funny, your story uh, and mine actually parallel quite, Quite strongly with a lot of Star Wars and maybe doing comic books, and then I went to school for R two and it was like, "What? No, I don't have any. I don't have any inner angst that I need to get out. I just want to draw dynamic stuff, right?" So, um, but uh, if you're anything like me, further than that, uh, then you probably got the itch to to direct shortly after uh, storyboarding. Oh because yeah, because it's a very similar, you know, process. Yeah. The whole visual. Building of a sequence in a scene and all that. So,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a the big dummy who actually did it the other way. I I got bitten by the bug to direct stuff, and then I figured, okay, how am I gonna? I've got to make a living, and how can I do it and try to work in the movie biz and I, and try to you know work my way up the ladder. Yeah, and oh my god, I'll try the storyboarding thing. So that was my plan, and it actually it kind of worked. Right. Although you know, I tell people now, you know, if you actually want to be a director. The smart thing to do is just start making movies however you can. Pretty much. And now you can do that with digital cameras and whatever. So much easier now, right? <laughs> oh God. Back, back then, man, it was, I'm telling you, this was, you didn't, you couldn't, you you couldn't do anything but 16 millimeter. Right. And I I, I was, I worked on a couple of 16 millimeter shorts, but it's like, you know, I was married. I just, I'd just gotten married and kids on the way, and it's kind of like, okay, are you going to put 10000 bucks on a movie, or are you going to not have your wife anymore, <laughs> right, <laughs> kind of a situation, so it was, there's that, you know, the tightrope that you end up walking, but in my case, um, I was lucky enough to work with, uh, work with directors on projects big enough that I was able to start getting a few second unit gigs right. fairly early. And like you know, like you were saying a little bit earlier, the thing you do start to realize once you're working a bit is, you know, once you start learning the basics of staging and, you know, editing and and uh, how much of that stuff you can pre-visualize and how valuable that is, then you you start to you start to understand, you know, what you start to understand what goes into the craft and the people that you work with see what you have to offer. So you get rehired or you get recommended, and it really worked out well for me and i I gained a lot of uh, some pretty some pretty great opportunities uh second unit directing wise, and uh, got to work with some great people
1: did you find like the first time that you had to actually direct an actor to mm-hmm. do like the performance that you wanted to get out of them was that a, was that a challenge for you or was it did it
0: come easy I'd say both i mean I think in my mind it was a, a a bigger challenge than uh, I thought because you bring, there, there's always that stereotype of, Oh my God, I'm working with this actor. They're going to eat me alive. They're so <laughs> tough and demanding when the first time director. And I don't know, but the, the, uh, I think the first time I really worked with actors, I mean, really worked with actors was, uh, was uh, for the movie Rosewood that John Singleton directed. Okay. Right. And I directed some second unit stuff there. We had to pick it. <clears throat> we had to pick up some things, with some of the main cast that first unit just didn't have time for. Right. So prior to that I had directed other second units, but it was all either stunt people or extras and there was no real actual performance involved. Right. This time on Rosewood, I think I did two or three things that, you know, actual main cast were in. That was kind of like, oh my God <laughs> But it was cool. You know, they the guys were really cool. The stuff was relatively simple. Um, there was a little you know, there was a little performance I had to adjust in Kochs, but not much. Right. And of course, you know, I had i i'm as I'm sure you do, you watch all its special features, and you know, I've read up a lot of books on my favorite directors yep. and things on acting and whatnot. and uh, you know, you know the basics, and you can kind of fake your way through as things go on, you learn let you learn more and more. I, I had to learn more for when I was directing at DreamWorks, and that was great
1: is directing. A voice performance markedly different from directing a like a an actual on screen performance.
0: I don't think so. Um, no, and one of the big things that surprised me about animation in general was how how similar it was uh, philosophically to you know live action. I mean, you're still telling story. You're right. still dealing with actual motivation and um, and behavior, and you still have to talk to people to get the response. The response and the performance that you want, right? And you know, you have to talk to actors in the in the, in the right way, in, so they can have something to play, right? While I was at DreamWorks, I was lucky enough to take uh, took this course, acting for directors, and as part of the class, you actually had to act and be directed. Oh. And when you do that a couple of times, you learn really fast what works and what doesn't, right. and you learn you learn why it works and why it doesn't. Because if you're giving actors some a vague direction, they're going to flounder. They're going to give you, you know, something that's way off the beam. You have to be as specific as possible, and you have to be you have to use language that is playable,
1: right? And without there must be a bit of a fine line between between being very specific as to what you want, and mm-hmm. yet without actually saying, say it like this.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in 99% of circumstances, you want to avoid that. Right. But it's a, it's a thing where you you have to kind of show them the target and let them shoot it the way they want to shoot it. Right, right. You know? So just as a super quick example, instead of saying, "Okay, be happy." Right. You can't really play happy in any kind of authentic way. What you can do is, "Okay, you're really celebrating now." Right. I want you to celebrate this moment because you've been waiting for it a long time. Right. That's more specific. And, you know, once you have that idea of the action, of course, you can tailor it to whatever the action or the moment is in the story. But the idea of giving them like a verb to play rather than, you know, an idea is the kind of thing that you, you tend to want to do. So once I, under- once, once I started to understand that idea, it helped a ton.
1: Are you a, are you a good actor? How was your acting in your in your so. class? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I'm I'm semi okay. When we do our little scratch recording right. for animation, I can you know I can get by. But uh... <laughs> so you've uh, so you've done
1: uh, live action, obviously, and and animation as well. Do you have a preference as far as let's just go with storyboarding for the first uh, specifically? Do you have a preference between doing one versus the other?
0: Well, live action, man, you can draw a lot less. I'll put it like that. <laughs> no, Absolutely, <laughs> you can draw a lot less. It's funny because you know I I really enjoy animation storyboarding. I really because you're you know you draw performances. You right. know you're really you're you're it's a it's a total different mindset than uh, in a lot of ways than live action, and it's the specificity of it. And the uh, the amount of you uh, know it asks more of you in a way because you, you you tend to do a lot of writing in animation boarding, even when you are following the pages to the letter. Right. It's 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 almost unavoidable in live in live action boarding. It's much more schematic. It's much more kind of general in a lot of ways. Yep. You know, you you know, you know things are going to change on the day of shooting. It's right. it's almost a given unless you're doing like a really specific uh, effect sequence or stunt sequence or something like that. Right. But anything else, you know, it's all up for grabs in animation. It really can be, you know, what you see is what you get m- to a much greater degree. So there's different things I enjoy about them.
1: So when the animators use the storyboards that you've done, they're really using them as the roadmap for what they're going to create. Uh, yes. As opposed to sort of with the live action boards have a tendency to just be more of a guideline, more of a, we're going to put the cameras here, but let's see what else we can do. And that because you right. have the ability to pick up and set up over here, over there, but also as a, as a storyboard artist for animation, you also have a bit more responsibility for what that final product will be. Is that, yeah. that, that's true, right? Like, I mean, here's your sequence, here's the script and you tend to tend to storyboard that out of your own head rather than going to somebody else's shot list. Correct.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, in, in uh, a lot of times in animation, and it's happening. I know it happens all the time now in uh, in live action. You'll just get a, a, an outline or a description, right? You know, if if it all it all depends on it. in animation. A lot of times that people get cast on different sequences for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people are known as great gag people, right? You know, staging might not be the greatest, but they're really funny, and they. Uh, some people are um some people are strong writers, right? So you know, even if their staging isn't the greatest or, you know, whatever, their, their writing chops will kind of carry through the sequence, and, you know, sometimes those people are the ones that you absolutely want to have the most. Right. Ironically, because, you know, uh, 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 there are, there are I mean, there are also pl- plenty of great people who do incredible action as far as boards and animation, but you, you always know there's going to be the next step of, well, there's going to be layout, and there's going to be there's going to be character animation that are also going to plus the action, so that's one thing where you can get by having strong concepts that you can flesh out later. Right. Other the other things, uh, writing and comedy timing are like. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I actually I I shouldn't even try to rank them because they're all they're all valuable in their own right. So, right. uh, it it really is it really does depend on on. What person you need? What skill set you need for which sequence? Right,
1: and it really does depend on the individual person too. I mean, I can say for one thing right now, I can put together a really solid action sequence as a storyboard artist, but I am not a gag guy. I'm not
0: funny. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I would, I would say the, uh, the. Um, I mean, there are guys that are so funny, I, and I don't know, I don't know how they do it, but there's it's it's a, it's such a specific skill, and in animation, that's like. You're the you know you're you're Buddha if you can do that you're the you're just absolutely the greatest. My strength was always uh, being able to stage things and make things play, keep things moving. You know, a good sense of pacing and editing and dynamics and those things. Right. So those my which are things that I learned from live action. Right. So I I think one of the the time at the time that I came into the industry, uh, CG movies were kind of on the ascendance. So the things I could do were particularly valued.
1: That makes sense. I know that this sort of depends on like project to project and like director to director, but as a storyboard artist, again, specifically, do you prefer, Mm -hmm. let's say for a live action movie, Mm -hmm. did you prefer having a shot list or did you prefer sort of a half and half sort of situation or prefer to have a bunch of freedom?
0: Kind of depended on who gave me the shot list. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I was, uh, I got, I, uh, it's probably the the yeah I got to work with David Fincher several times I, I noticed that yeah and yeah uh, <laughs> and uh, when we first started on Fight club he we sat down next to each other and he kind of dictated out a shot list but he did little you know thumbnails on a on you know we each had a stack of typing paper and he was dictating thumbnails and talking it through and I was doing mine and kind of like taking notes and so we would do that for most of the sequences on Fight Club. After a while, he stopped doing the doodling and just started talking through, and I would, you know,
1: yeah,
0: notes and sketch and whatever, and uh, it, and it worked out really well. And it's one of those things. I'm sure you know, you you have a couple of sessions with a director, and you go, okay, I, I'm, I know how they think. Yep, exactly. Got, you know, I can. And the interesting thing was the two interesting things. On the next project we did together, which was Panic Room, he uh, there were a, there were a couple of sequences he was very specific about because he had thought about them and had specific things he wanted to achieve, so he dictated those in great detail. But on another few sequences, he 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 just go, oh, uh, see see what you can figure out, you right. know, work, work some stuff out, and then we'll get back together and talk about it, and which was like, you know, I was daunted. But at the same time, you know, uh, spending time with with David it, and and realizing, you know, his style is actually very simple and logical. Right. There are there's a, maybe a few idiosyncratic things he's going to do, but it's not super complicated once you start to understand how the guy thinks. Right. So I was able to do a pretty respectable first pass at something that he'd go over and kind of like you know, adjust here and there maybe, or throw something in or take something out. But for the most part, I was pretty keyed into what he wanted. So on Panic Room, actually the boarding got simpler and simpler, and he started, he was really getting into previs then. So right. he would ask me to do the first pass of the previs with the previs guys, after which he would come in and monkey around and change things on a on a lot of sequences, and that was really interesting. Oh, okay, cool.
1: I've never been involved in the previs uh, process, like in a hands-on kind of way. I've always just done yeah. the boards that have then been taken off to be prevized. Right. Uh, so, uh, and now you had an animation background by that point already, correct? No, I didn't. Oh, also,
0: there w- was this the gateway into animation. You know, it, in in a sense, uh, I, in a sense, I guess, I, I guess it could have been, yeah, yeah. sort of. But it was really, uh, really after doing after doing that first movie with Fincher, man, I was. I was kind of ready. I, I felt like I had my chops. And I you know, and I would worked with some other good people before that too, so. Sure.
1: Not uh, not the least of which uh, is uh, Rachel Tillale. Uh, oh yeah? From Tanker. That's right. That's um, right. Uh, I noticed that you did some second unit directing on that as well.
0: Uh, that that was, yeah, that was I think the the third second unit I did and by far the biggest.
1: That, that was is, a big second unit. That is a, a completely underrated movie, which I saw in the <laughs> theater when it came out, and I absolutely loved. Oh. Uh, and have and have <laughs> and have since uh, had the had the the distinct pleasure of working with Rachel on a couple of projects. So, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, great. she's she's great. She's one of my favorite people. Oh, uh, cool. in the World to work with. Creative, yeah. creative, creative mind, just amazing.
0: Oh, she's doing she's doing Sherlock these days. Oh, right.
1: Yeah, she came yeah. by she came by as she's done a couple of episodes of the Flash that
0: I've worked on and a, and a Supergirl as well. So uh
1: so uh what's so aside from the what were you doing right before Spider-Man?
0: Right before Spider-Man, what was I doing? Oh, I spent I spent 2015, let's see. I had left Dreamworks in late 2014. So was was Dreamworks sort of like a like a permanent position Were you're like in
1: development there or what were you doing at Dreamworks?
0: I, Yeah, I was there. I I was at Dreamworks for like 11 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> like exclusive. Yeah, and- uh, yeah and while I was there i directed uh i had been a I had been a story artist, a head of story I developed a couple of things uh i uh, I directed a TV special and then I directed the feature Rise of the Guardians wow. and after Guardians, uh and during that period the studio kind of started to kind of started to take on water. So a, a lot of weird things were happening, right. kind of culminating in it getting sold not too long ago. But uh, after Guardians, uh, they, their slate was already kind of plotted out for the next few years, and there was you know, there was no there wasn't a feature for me, you know, ready. So I was kind of hanging out there, developing some stuff and boarding on other projects and. But it started becoming becoming pretty clear because they weren't, you know, Guardians didn't do well enough to get a sequel, right. and there didn't see, seem there wasn't anything else for me there, and I was getting a, you know, I was getting a few nibbles from outside, a couple of other companies. So I left there in late 2014, and in 20 early 2015, I signed on with uh, Avi Arad, who was uh, had a project that he was doing as a co production with China. So I went on to that, um, and spent 2015 uh, writing and designing characters. Basically, uh, oh, doing we did an animation test with uh, D Negative, which was an uh, effects house in London. And uh, I guess I was there. I was doing that for probably uh, nine, ten months while they were firming up the deals with the Chinese partners. Right, and the whole thing fell. The whole deal fell apart at the end of 2015
1: and for no real reason these things are just for so no so
0: fragile right like it's it, it like it was weird because i you know i got paid while i was working there and i you know i got paid to write two drafts of the script right and um it just like evaporated and, I, and i've heard the sa- i've heard the same story dozens of times a lot of times for people who didn't get paid so i was kind of counting my lucky stars yeah no kidding yeah. And so in the aftermath of that it turned out that Avi was also a producer on the Sony animated Spider Man. Right. And a good friend of mine who, from DreamWorks, Bob Persetti, was had been signed to direct it. So I got a call from Bob that said, Hey, I heard you're you know, I heard you might be kind of free. It would be great if you could come and board on this for a while and I said, Sure, I don't have anything else to do right now. Sure. So yeah, so uh I spent uh I spent most of that year Boarding on Spider-Man and writing on my own projects and hocking right. my own stuff, getting into development on on another thing, and then uh, kind of out of the blue in late twenty late twenty sixteen, uh, they asked me if I would come on as a co-director on Spider-Man. Amazing! So it was kind of awesome, so I said, like, "Sure, I'll do that." And that's
1: going to keep you busy for some time, I, yeah. <laughs> I reckon. So yeah, pretty now much I'm right up to- until release, <laughs> I suppose. Now I'm wondering why I said yes. <laughs> I doubt that very highly. if you, if no. you don't want it i'll I'll I be happy kid. to come down there and take it over. I kid of course <laughs> um now i I know that I should know this, but is that a, a slated for a theatrical release or is it, oh, yeah. a, it is That's what I thought yeah. that's pretty massive. It's I don't like, know if you know this if you know the answer to this question or not, but where did the decision come about to have the animated movie sort of alongside the? Like coming out alongside, not alongside, but at the same time as live-action ones.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's all. I think it's all a byproduct of this weird arrangement that Sony has with Disney and Marvel, because they still, I guess, they still own the rights to Spider-Man movies, but Mar- they made the deal with Marvel to let Marvel do the live-action movies in the Marvel universe. Right. But. I guess that Sony retains the right to do movies featuring Spider-Man. I, I guess so. Uh, somebody said, "Hey, let's do an animated Spider-Man movie featuring Miles Morales." Right,
1: and this is this is strictly a Sony deal. This isn't like the Marvel creative, like Kevin Feige and them are not involved in this, or, or are they? No,
0: they're not involved as of yet. Right. This is all. This is all Sony. That's so what I thought. Yeah. I, I have no idea how things may develop in the future. I re- I, I really don't. But uh, as of now, it's all Sony Animation, and it was—it was actually, I think, it was spearheaded by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Phil Lord um, wrote the script, and you know they—they've worked with Sony before, and I think the idea was, wow, if these guys want to do a Spider-Man movie, we should do a Spider-Man movie.
1: That makes perfect and, sense. I mean, those guys are doing just about everything right now, and yeah, exactly, and, and pretty and successfully.
0: Take, <laughs> yeah, and their, the 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 take was actually. Really fresh and really interesting. So it'll be it'll be light years different from uh, what we've seen in the Marvel stuff.
1: That's great. I'm really kind of because the the Miles Morales story is is so different from the from the Peter Parker story. Yeah, and, and I know that fans have been clamoring for it. Uh, yeah, pretty hard actually. Like when 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 Marvel sort of picked up you know the 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 reins on the Sony live action Spider Man movies. I know a lot of people were a little disappointed that we were getting another <laughs> another Peter Parker. Yeah, uh, instead of the yeah. Miles
0: Morales story,
1: uh, you know, I think there's room for both, but uh, you know, for uh, sure, yeah. yeah,
0: it's great because my, you know, the Miles story is it's really different and and at the same time it still hits all the classic Spider-Man beats. Yeah. So it's 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 really uh, it's a it's a blend of old and new,
1: and it's it's really great to be able to to have some representation uh, within our
0: superhero it's worlds as well. Amazing. So yeah, it's amazing. I can o- I can only. Uh, I, I I can only imagine, you know, what the response will be once it actually comes out, you know, provided we get it right. Yep. And uh I I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that because it's uh it's a it's a huge deal. I mean it's something I never had growing up, you know. So for me it's it's a really special thing.
1: Right. It's nice. I mean, again, I've, I've discussed this on this podcast before. I mean, Lexi Alexander was on, and we we obviously discussed yeah, it a little okay. bit. Uh, 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 <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Lexi introduced Peter and I on uh, online, so we can oh. thank her for Peter being here right now.
0: She uh, is spectacular.
1: She's one of my favorite people. How did you? Uh, how did you meet, uh, Lexi?
0: You know, um, we met. We had a. We became aware of each other. Uh, I think it was sometime 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 over the in the wake of rise of the guardians um I know our cro- our paths crossed somehow, but we really started uh uh we really started sort of chatting uh on twitter right i had I had gotten onto twitter and uh we found ourselves kind of in the same you know circle of conversation somehow and uh and uh, got a little more acquainted that way
1: right. That's, uh, that's exactly how she like. She and I have never actually met in person yet, mm-hmm. uh, but we've we've almost worked together a couple of times. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. you know kind of kind of cool. Uh, and we will work together soon. Uh, yeah, that is our, our promise to each other. But uh, it's funny. Like I credit Lexi a lot to to mean sort of not being afraid to be a little outspoken on Twitter. Yeah. you know what I mean, like yep. As I get older and as I as I experience more things, uh, I am really finding that it's important for. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but for a four-year-old white man to mm. open his mouth every now and again, and not be afraid of who I'm going to offend, uh, if it's important, do you know what I mean?
0: It's, it's great, man. It's and, that for for everyone you piss off, there's going to be ten more people who admire and you know rally to your side. That's yeah. the way I see it. So yeah,
1: pretty much, right. So yeah, she's been a great
0: influence on me in that yeah. in
1: that sense. Just because she's fearless. <laughs> so. Oh God!
0: Absolutely. Are you kidding? And she also, you know, she also the great thing about her is she walks the walk. You know, absolutely. She yeah. Dead, she is dead serious about creating opportunities for, you know, underrepresented people or just cool people. Honestly. Yeah. So I, I always admire her for that. She really does it.
1: Cool. Have you uh have you found it uh difficult to be uh, a black man working in Hollywood at all, or,
0: you know, if, uh, for, I have to say for me, no,
2: I mean, not, (laughs) unless,
0: not not unless I should be doing 10 times, you know, 10 times better than I already am, which is entirely possible. Um, and, uh, who knows it might be, that might be possible and I'll never know. right? You know, but my, my, uh, I've had her, I've had her, I've, I feel like I've had a lot of really lucky breaks. Right. I've also had a lot of people who have literally opened the door for me and helped me, Right. you know, and who have really, I, I you know, uh, I'll speak to you know students or or uh, do uh, you know do uh, talks with uh, groups of young with kids and stuff like that, and I always tell them, you know, if you're in a creative environment and you're you're doing your best and you sincerely. You know, people see that you're sincere about doing a good job and wanting to learn more. Inevitably, there's going to be somebody who comes to you and asks you, hey, you're doing great. What do you you want to do? You know, there's inevitably, I, I don't know if it's happened to you. It probably has. It happened to me so many times after I got into the business that people on the creative side would open up and, like, extend a hand and, I would have – I remember one of the coolest things that happened to me when I first started storyboarding was I was getting in these uh, art departments. I'd be working in these art departments with guys who were – there were still guys from like the golden age of movies back in the 50s and right, right. early right. 60s and stuff. So I would work with these great old art directors and illustrators that were just like – these guys had worked with like Alfred Hitchcock and stuff like that.
1: Massive, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, Yeah. And they'd see me over there drawing, and look over my shoulder, and they would go, "Man, you know, have you? Do you know how to project up from a from a plan to do a settle, Ill, set illustration and just all this?" They would just walk me through all this amazing stuff. Most of it, I still couldn't pick up, but they took the time. You know, that's amazing, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and they would really, really invest time in me. It's really great when when somebody.
1: Uh, wants to sort of pay it forward like that, yeah. Because I mean, I guess ultimately that's how we all sort of get to succeed, right? I mean, we, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work on our part, but it's also a lot of kind of luck on the on the it, other it, side of it, it and meeting the right people.
0: It totally is, and I I found people willing to do that for me over and over again. It, it even uh, even uh, uh, you know when it came to getting uh, my first my first second unit gig, John Singleton really loved what I was doing for him on Boys in the Hood and. You know, really encouraged me and on the next movie, uh, Poetic Justice gave me uh, the second unit gig, you know, so it would it would happen. It would happen to me over and over again. And it's I wasn't I wasn't, you know, going around with a tin cup in my hand or anything. It was just kind of showing up and being interested in the work. So much of it just sort of the
1: the attitude that you portray that you put out there. Uh, absolutely and and hard work and making sure that you're the guy that can meet the deadlines and add something creatively and it's true i think that it, it attracts like-minded people and those like-minded people can very often help you out so
0: it, the, exactly because every, everybody wants to work with somebody who wants to contribute and is enthusiastic and is you know and is uh has a good attitude it sounds boring and cornball but it's <laughs> absolutely true yeah so it's all good now you know, that's uh, I have some notes that I wrote down here.
1: Uh, hmm. One of them was uh, about Tank Girl, so we would covered that. Okay. <laughs> one of them was I wanted <laughs> to ask about David Fincher and how in his process for storyboarding. So there's that. Oh, yeah. uh- uh, and the other thing that I wrote down uh, was that up until uh, Fast Eight came out just recently, mm-hmm. uh, you were uh, the highest-grossing uh, black
0: director <laughs> uh, out there. Did you were you aware of that? <laughs> well, it's 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 a yeah I. I I, I wasn't. I wasn't because there's this weird thing of there's the difference between the d- domestic box office and worldwide. So I think I think worldwide, I can't remember what my ranking is. Domestic, I I think I got knocked down a couple of pegs by uh, by F. Gary Gray and Jordan Peele. Yeah, but just recently, but, uh, though. I mean, that's a, you had a pretty yeah, good one there. <laughs> I know it's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of freaky. I have to every once in a while it pops up and I go, oh Jesus, yeah. Hey, I should be getting paid more. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, I think you should be making more. You should make more movies because i think I'm
0: we, with you, man.
1: <laughs> I can't wait to see this uh, this Spider Man. It's yeah. Uh, you're telling me you have to wait until next December now. Yeah, like not even I, this coming December, but
0: I, I yeah, I think it's going to really be something. I, I don't want to toot my own horn, and it, it's uh, we're we're trying to do something really different. So I'm I'm hoping that it pans out the way we the way we want it to. That's amazing.
1: You can't uh, tell me too much, obviously, but. Uh, what point of the process are you in right now? Like, are you still uh, have you like locked in a script yet, or are you uh, still sort of working that out?
0: Um, we're we're still kind of working on it, and in animation that tends to be a pretty fluid thing. Right. You know, you, as you you go through iteration after iteration in uh, in story reels, and the the script tends to change and evolve along with that. Right. Uh, but in terms of actual production, we've just started uh, layout. Just started rough okay. layout. All right, cool. So we're uh, we're just getting our first uh, our first um, pass in the computer uh, at the at blocking a rough very rough blocking of the action. Right. So it's 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 early days, but we're we're off we're off and running.
1: Cool. What uh, at what point do you uh, do you start uh, the voice work and stuff like that? If you and are, are you thinking about casting it? Is that happening yet? Oh or yeah. Really... Oh yeah. We yeah. we
0: have we have several roles cast. Uh, some announced. We've got um, Shamik Moore, who was uh, the star of the Get Down. That's and- right. I'm sorry, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, that's Miles Morales. <laughs> that's great. He's fantastic. Um, we have um, Jake Johnson from the show The New Girl in a in a role. Okay, which is really cool. We have uh, Liev Schreiber in a role. Oh, he's that's the best. Also really awesome. I'm trying. I'm being a little cagey here. Yeah, no, you can't.
1: Yeah, whatever you can't tell me. Don't tell me. Of course, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, wanna... we've got
0: some. We've got a, a couple of other really cool names that are really exciting that haven't been announced yet. So that's I'll, I'll hold off on those. But it's it's shaping up to be a a really a really exciting cast.
1: Cannot Very wait to see it. Okay, sir, I'm not going to take up uh, too much more of your time tonight. I really appreciate you coming and uh, and speaking with me today.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, man.
1: Um, uh, good luck in everything that you do. And uh, I'm like I said before, I'm really looking forward to this uh, to this Spider-Man movie. I think it's going to be great.
0: Oh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. It's been great talking to you.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much.
2: All right,
0: so I just wanted to say thank you very much to
1: uh, Blake Hodges for joining me today for uh, some rambly bullshit before, <laughs> before that interview. Uh, thanks for coming <laughs> by, man.
2: Yeah, man, it was uh, was fun to come on and chat some movies, uh, chat some comics. Cool, I appreciate that. Uh,
1: You can tell I'm terribly rusty. I haven't done this in a while, but that's okay, I'll get back in it. Uh, Anyways, uh, thanks for for (laughs) listening, everybody, and we will see you next time.